Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at So as we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, you're going to see these concentric circles work themselves out in this passage. And I'll read it for us. Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Pray that God just blesses um, the reading of his word. It's, it's getting into the scriptures that's really the only way for us to have life transformation. Um, guys, I'll be the first one to tell you, like me coming up here um, and just giving you opinions, giving you a motivational speech, giving you ideas in order to have a better life or to be a better parent um, are always going to fall short. Um, you might remember a couple things in, in a few days, but from there, you're just going to go right back into um, the way life usually is. Um, the Word of God, the Scriptures, are living and active. They're able to pierce to our hearts. They're able to pierce to our minds. And it's not just behavioral modification. It's actually getting down to the root and depth of your identity and then changing you to begin having new affections and new desires and and, and a new outlook on life and what's important and what's valued. And so that's why we always highlight and, and lift up the scriptures because it's from those things that we want to feed our people so that it's ultimately changing and transforming you from the inside out. And so the first concentric circle is what we're going to look at here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He goes on in verse 5, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. This is a fascinating text. The reason why it's fascinating is because if you, if you know anything about Jewish law or Jewish customs, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of do's and don'ts. And what we see God doing here is he doesn't start out with, um, here's all the things that you need to do in order to have a family that is oriented around me. Like he, he's not starting out with saying, do the Ten Commandments and then teach them to your children. And then from there, put them on your doorpost and put them, put them on your gate so that the world outside will be able to see as well. It's not a, a come to this list of regulations and all these things that I have to accomplish in my own strength and ability in order to be a different person. Rather, no, it's built on just a love for it. It's built on a relationship for God that we both receive and, and enter into. It's not, and so I think a lot of times that's where we struggle with church is, is it's seen as this list of do's and don'ts. Be a good person, don't be a bad person. Separate yourself from those who are evil because we are considered the good people. And that's not the truth. That's not the truth. Church is a messy place 
full of messy people, full of people who, who don't get it right all the time, who don't nail it all the time. Like I can, if you want to sit down with me at lunch, I can talk to you about this week of how many times I messed up in my relationship with Kelsey and how I did not love her well and how I messed up with my son Ezra and my son Wyatt and how I, and how I didn't do it well with them, how I was distracted with emails and distracted with texts and, and hearing my son say, Daddy, play, Daddy, play. And I'm like, hold on, buddy, I'll get to you in a minute. And it's like, no, 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 why can't I just go then? Like it's, the reality is I'm not pretending to be more than I am up here. And church is supposed to be a place where we don't pretend to be more than what we are. We're just a bunch of broken people coming together to look at a perfect Savior who is providing for us a life that is abundant that we cannot provide for ourselves. If we try to provide an abundant life to ourselves, then that is try to do all the commandments. It is try to fulfill them. And, and, and just to let you in on Jewish culture, it's not just 10 commandments. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament that they were to follow. And if someone were to come to me when I was a 14-year-old and say, hey, um, do you want to love Jesus? You have to do all 613 of these things perfectly in order for you to love Jesus. I'm going to say, man, I've got other things that I, I care about women and trucks. Like, that's really where I want to be at when I was a 14-year-old. Football was mixed in there as well. Like, those were, that's where my affections were. And so when God saved me, it was not based on do all these rules, but rather it was based on come into a relationship with me. I want you to know me. I want you to experience me. I want to lavish my love on you. I want to lavish my encouragement on you. I want to lavish my, my lifestyle on you. And that's what God provided for me. And so, so entering into it literally just starts out as a relationship where, where what God is saying is because of the love that I have for you, love me. Love me with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. That's concentric circle number one. So the second thing is, okay, if we're supposed to love God, then how do we do that? How do we love God? And the first thing is that he doesn't also leave that up to us. I'm not trying to figure out how to enter into a relationship with God to love him. What 1 John 4.19 says is that we love him because he first loved us. This is the message of the entire Bible is God's pursuit of us when we were not pursuing him. Like we did not come to God and say, I've cleaned up my mess, I've cleaned up my act, and so now can I be a part of the family? That's not the reality of the Bible. The Bible is God in John 3, 16, looking at the world and so loving the world that he sent his son to come to this broken place full of broken people and provide himself as a salvation for us, as a sanctuary for us, as a place of rest and renewal where we can come into relationship with him as he draws us to himself. And in that place, we find love. We find God. We don't find this condemning judge because he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so God pursues us and he brings us into the family. He adopts us into his family. And when we're in his family, we're now able, because we've experienced his love, we're now able to love him. That's the first thing is that it's not based on us. It's based on what God does for us. 
And then the second thing, how do we love him? How do we grow in our love for him? Is the beautiful thing. When, when you, um, for those of you who are dating or in a marriage um, today, when you first met your now spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, when you first met them, there's probably a point where you figured out, I now love this person. Like, I'm in love with this person. Like, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. Did you know everything about that person at that time? No, absolutely not. Which is what, what's very terrifying about it at the same time is, okay, now I want to commit to this person for the rest of my life, but I actually don't know everything about them. And so what do we do at that point is when we enter into a marriage, when we enter into a covenant, a promise of saying, I want to be with you for the rest of my life. What we're saying is, is I'm spending the rest of my life pursuing you in relationship and getting to know you. Like, I hope that, I pray that my relationship with Kelsey is stronger 20 years from now than it is today, 40 years from now than it is today because of all the amount of time that we have pursuing one another and getting to know each other. Because here's the reality. When we met each other, I was a youth pastor. I had a bachelor house that was a little cottage, a little house on the prairie um, in Tennessee. And, and Kelsey was just starting out as a teacher. And that's who I got to know when we got married. Two years after we got married, we then moved to Miami, Florida. I uprooted her from her family and moved her 1,200 miles away from her family. Probably not the smartest thing to do in the first couple of years of marriage, but it kind of worked out for us. Uh, we get to Miami. She's no longer teaching. She's now working in retail, working in property management. I'm working both for Royal Caribbean and for the church that we were starting down there. And, and, and now we became different people because we were in a different culture. We're now a little bit older at that time. And so we're still studying one another. Like who Kelsey was in Tennessee versus who Kelsey was in Florida are two completely different people. We then get pregnant in Florida, and, and so then we start down a new path of like, okay, what's it like to introduce and, and, and kind of get to know each other in that stage? And then we have kids, and so now I know Kelsey as, as mother who stays at home, who has her own side business. I'm, I'm a full-time pastor here of the district church, and we're living in Indianapolis, which is neither Florida nor Tennessee, and so we're getting to know each other here as well. Your life is going to be a constant rotation of getting to know the new person that's in your house. And what the scriptures do for us, and this is the second point of how do we love him, is that we go to the scriptures because what God has provided for us in the scriptures is the opportunity to continue to get to know the God that we love. If someone were to come to me when I married Kelsey on the day that I married her, and provided for me a book that says everything that you need to know, like a manual for Kelsey, everything that you need to know about her is in this book. Do you think I'm going to read it or I'm just going to throw it on a shelf? No, I'm going to read that thing. I'm going to read that thing because I want to observe as much as I can. I want to interpret as much as I can, and I want to apply as much as I can. Oh, you love this? I had no idea that you loved that. And so the way that that fleshes out with us is that's conversations with our spouses, right? Because there's not a, a book. Because as soon as Kelsey wrote a book, she'd have to write another one because it changes. Maybe that's a stab at her, but anyways. I love her. She's not in here. It's okay. I can say it. Um, but anyways, the book, the scripture, the Bible for us is God revealing to us everything that he is. 
the character of who he is, how much he wants to care for us, how much he provides for us, how much he loves us. And so we have, if we want to grow in our love of who he is, we go to the scriptures to see who he is and what he's done in our history. And the third thing is just getting together with the people of God. That's one of the beautiful things is that not only do I need the scriptures to be able to know who God is, but I also get to know the God that's in you. I get to know the Christ that is in you, the Christ that's changing and molding your identity. And so the Christ that is interacting in your life is able to come out as you encourage me and as you spur me on. The New Testament literally has 59 one another statements. And what I mean by one another statements is it's pointing you to interact with other people and to love them like Christ has loved you. So it might say encourage one another, spur one another on, love one another, serve one another, sacrifice for one another, provide for one another, give to one another. 59 one another's in the New Testament scriptures of God talking about one of the ways that we increase in our love with him is by interacting with the body of Christ so that we can encourage each other in the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. So that's concentric circle number one, is that we have to have this relationship with God, this love for God that he is providing for us and in return is producing in us a love for him. That takes us to the second circle. Um, And I'm gonna read the verses that, that correlate with that, verses six and seven. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. That's circle one. Circle two. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I'm going to do my best to modernize these, um, these examples that he's using here on how to teach your children. Uh, because I was brought up in a church that... Um, specifically the way in which family discipleship was going to work was very rigid and very um, mundane and, and, and really lacked personality. It lacked celebration. It was, uh, and, and again, this might be fruitful for other people. This was not fruitful for, for necessarily uh, me when we attempted to do this. Um, but a lot of times they would teach us Every, every single night, pick a night, and then we're going to provide a study, and then you got to go through this study. And the reality was, was even though we attempted to do that, and I'm not saying that that was bad, like that's a good thing. What, what bucked up against that all the time was on Monday night, I would have football practice. On Tuesday night, my brother would have some type of event that's going on. On Wednesday night, we've got church. On Thursday night, we're going out to eat somewhere. And so it was like, like the rhythms of life just did not provide the opportunity for this structured time every night for us to have what we would call family discipleship, family worship time. And so we had to get really creative with it. And what this scripture does for us is it free us to be able to be creative in how we raise our children in the instruction of the Lord, how we teach them to know and love Jesus and who he is. So for example, the first one here is, um, how many of you sit in your house? You got a couch, you got some chairs, like how many of you sit in your house and are there ever times where your kids are also sitting around you? It's an opportunity to teach them something about Christ. 
have it just open up conversation with them. This might take some prep on you at different times to just have questions to ask or to have scriptures to read with them. But it's so easy. I mean, just when you find yourself sitting and, and sometimes preferably sitting without a television on, but if you find yourself sitting, just let that be a marker that's, hey, maybe I can have an intentional conversation with my child about something that's greater than maybe a temporary thing that's going on around us right now. Like, yes, having conversations about how school going or how's child care going or how much candy has grandpa given you this week or like, like not maybe necessarily those types of questions, but, but diving into deeper soul level questions because you want to know your child and you want to also introduce them to someone who's greater. So we sit down. The second one is walk by the way. How many of you drive places? All right. Driving in the car is one of the best places to have conversations with your child because they're trapped. Like they can't go anywhere, right? And so it's a great opportunity to to redeem that time. Like if you punt that time to just giving devices to your kids in the car and 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 just kind of let them be uh, narcoleptic like throughout that process, like no no no, like use that time if it's 20 minutes from one place to another have conversations in the car. Hey, what, what, what did you learn at church this morning? What, what, what have you, have you read any scriptures recently? And, and, and what has God shown you in those scriptures? Or maybe we can talk about a scripture right now and, and give me your thoughts on this scripture. Like, redeem that time. Ask them at the same time. It doesn't always have to be about biblical things. Ask them, hey, is there, is there anything in your life right now that's just stressing you out? That's, that's bothering you. Like Ezra would be the first one to say, yeah, you don't give me enough treats. That stresses me out. You, you, you don't let me play with your drill and hammer. That stresses me out. Like it's, and so then I can say, okay, well, let's talk about that because there's reasons why daddy withholds some of those things from you because I want to protect you. I want to care for you. I want to guide you. And so have conversations about their life and what's going on in their life. In the car is also a great time to have those spontaneous moments of just worship, man. Just put some music on and just sing. Even when you're at the house, like carry that into the household. Like at our house, we have um, a group that meets at our house on Tuesday nights um, from the 6 to 6.30 realm. And we've started doing this this last couple of, uh, couple of Tuesdays. Is, is, it's, it's worship dance party with me and Ezra. And so like before anyone else gets there, we're just, we're putting on worship music songs that are talking about Jesus, that are celebrating who Jesus is. And, and Ezra and I, we're just in the, in the living room. We're just dancing around, having a good time. And he's hearing songs about the gospel. He's hearing songs about the love of God and how much he cares for Ezra. So have dance parties, make it fun. Like I think a lot of times we, we have this weird sense that Christianity has to be this, this um, solemn and depressing and sad time in which we get together and we get very serious. And that's not true. Like God is a God who delights over us and who wants to celebrate and who throws parties. I mean, in the story of the prodigal son and the father, and when the prodigal son came home, the father didn't like go straight to disciplining him and, all right, let's start a Bible study, which we're going to be very serious because I don't want you to squander my wealth again. No, the, the father threw a party because the prodigal son came home. He celebrated. He threw the best clothes on him, put these rings on his fingers. Like he, he wanted him to feel celebrated 
And that's exactly what God does for us. Is every day he wants to delight over us. I love to picture it like when Ezra, I was hoping he did it this morning, but he didn't. Sometimes when he sees me from afar, he'll run to me. And when he runs to me, the first thing that I, I don't want to do is just be serious with him. No, I want to pick him up and I want to swirl him around and I want to enjoy having interaction with him. And that's exactly what God wants to do with us every single day is he delights over us and so redeem these times when you're when you're sitting and when you're walking by the way to have times to be able to talk to our children to be able to love them and the reality is i I know it's not always going to be perfect it's not like there should be times where we sit down at a dinner table as a family and we have conversations together and then there's going to be other times where we're just chucking chicken nuggets wherever we can and hoping that they catch them and eat them have freedom in this concentric circle number two to diligently teach our children the ways of Christ. To diligently teach our children who he is and what he's accomplished in our life. When you lie down and when you rise, we all go to sleep and wake up in the morning, right? Man, use those to be times to pray with your kids before they go to sleep. When they wake up in the morning, pray with them before we eat dinner or eat breakfast or um, before we leave the room. Hey, buddy, let's let's read a a story about, you know, a guy in the Bible who, who God redeemed and who God saved and who God loved. Let's use those times for that. What are we diligently teaching them? We're back to concentric circle one. We're teaching them about God who he is, what he's done, what he's accomplished. That leads us to um, the third circle here. Teach the world around you. Look at verse nine. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I hope you see what's happening here. You, You have almost this kind of cascading effect out of an individual soul. So you have mom and dad who have been transformed by Christ, who love Christ, who are committed to seeing the love of Jesus just preeminate their lives. And then from there, it then moves out to their children where because of the love that I've experienced from Christ and I've experienced from the Father and I've experienced from the Holy Spirit, I want Ezra and Wyatt to experience that exact same love. So what I'm going to do as a father is I'm going to do the best I can to provide an environment for them to meet Jesus, for them to know and treasure and love Jesus with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might. Because I've experienced it. I understand it. I know it. I know what he's done for me. And I know, I know the broken places that I've been in that he's rescued me out of. I know the worldly things that I've longed for, for to satisfy me that never satisfied me. And so I'm left wanting more. And God comes in and provides for me something that the world cannot provide for me. He gives me the hope that I'm looking for. He gives me the satisfaction that I'm looking for. And I want my kids to experience the same thing. And so it moves out to them as well. And then the beauty is, is as our kids grow and begin to own the faith for themselves, they begin to enter into that relationship with Jesus and they begin to experience the love that he's providing for them. You then have a family unit 
that is representing the love of Christ in such a way that it's written on the doorpost and it becomes on the gates. That's not necessarily just being literal, like putting scripture over your door or putting something out on you know, your driveway necessarily, but rather what this is saying is that the world around us is beginning to look at that family and they're looking at that family and saying, man, there's something different about that family. There's something unique about that family. The way they love each other, the way they encourage each other, the way they forgive one another when they hurt each other, the way they care for one another. There's something there that's different than the way our family is operating. And I'm one of the first ones to be able to experience that because I was not raised in a church. I didn't start going to a church until I was 14 years old. And my brother was 16 years old. And my parents, as we're driving down the road, my dad just looks at a church building, and this is right after 9-11 happened. He looks at this church building, and he says, we're going to start going to that church. And I'm like, I don't know anyone at that church, but sure, all right, let's, let's go there. And so we, we start going to this church, and I, I was able to see transformation in my life, transformation in my brother's life, transformation in my father's life and in my mother's life. I mean, my, I used to have a dad who would come home as an alcoholic who would just stumble through the house. And I had no idea what was going on. I thought he was just trying to be silly. And he's stumbling through the house and I'm not really understanding what's going on. I, I've seen times where he and my mom would, would fight and argue and he would come out and say, I'm leaving this house and I'm never coming back. And he would walk out and he would just leave and he would go. That was my elementary and my middle school years was that constantly. And then I was able to see a transformation that happened where my dad then, then became a softer person. Like I, I never saw my dad cry until he became a Christian. And I'm not saying that happens for everybody. So like if you're not a Christian, you're like, I'm a tough guy. Like I'm not saying it softens you up and makes you like, you know, anyways. Um, but I, I saw something happen in my dad that, that, that caused him to have compassion and caused him to have empathy for others. And it was because he met Jesus. I saw my mom who used to be this kind of uh, managerial type person who was very rigid in the home. And so like, like, I mean, rigid to the point, like if we didn't get up in time for school, she's throwing lamps at us. Like that was, that was my middle school years. And then I saw her become one of the most humble people who wants to serve faithfully behind the scenes, who never wants to take praise, who never wants people to know what she's doing. It's because she met Jesus. We were all literally baptized at the same time because we met Jesus within the same month. Our family from my elementary and middle school years was not the same family my high school and college years. Completely different. And the change was Christ. My dad went from an alcoholic to a deacon of a church who taught Sunday school. He's still a deacon in the church today. My mother is just, I mean, she's just one of the best people that I know. One of the best people that I know. And it's because Jesus came into their life. And so you see the family change and then the world around it begins to change. The beauty is there's a huge vision for this. Like if you were to work it backwards, if we were to say we would love to see our nation become more compassionate towards others, become more loving towards others, become more giving towards others, become more serving towards others. If we want to see the nation happen, well, then the states need to become that way. 
In order for the states to become that way, the counties need to become that way. In order for the counties to become that way, the towns need to become that way. In order for the towns to become that way, the families have to become that way. Because they're all what makes up our country. In order for the families to become that way, we individually have to become that way. And the only way we become that way is by knowing Jesus, concentric circle number one. Knowing him, treasuring him above all. Treasuring him as our savior, as our Lord, as the one who's provided for us salvation. Guys, like this entire life could be literally just summed up in us trying to achieve life abundantly, right? Like, is that not, I mean, it's worked into our constitution. Is that like the, the pursuit of the American dream? Happiness? And so we're longing for, because we're designed this way, we're longing for satisfaction. We're longing for life abundant. We're longing for the, the, the family with the big house and the white picket fence and the two and a half kids and the, I say two and a half because that's kind of what the average is across the nation. Um, but we're, we're longing for this. And the reality is if, if it was just handed over to you, but it's devoid of Christ, then it will never satisfy. Like what, 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 we're, what we're fighting every day is the desire to want more of what we already have. I mean, America, we're, we're the worst ones in this. Like, you, you go to other countries and you visit other countries, you don't see this thriving business called storage units because they don't need extra stuff. And But what we keep doing is we keep, we keep buying and we keep hoarding and we keep gathering because we think the next best thing is what's ultimately going to satisfy my soul trinkets and toys and, and again I, I'm right there with you like I I love trinkets and toys there's something about them that that when you purchase them when you buy that that just kind of like has that that little bit of nostalgia or whatever the word is that 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 makes you feel good and then it wears off and then we got to go find the next thing and then it wears off and then we find the next thing and it wears off and then we've just gathered a bunch of stuff. And the reality is, is all the stuff that we own that's in our house is the future stuff of garage sales or dumps. Right? And so pursuing the American dream is never going to ultimately satisfy the soul. But there's one thing that does satisfy the soul, and that's God. Romans 1 specifically talks about the fact that there's creator and there's creation. And God is not anti-creation. He's not anti-us having stuff. He just doesn't want us to worship the stuff. He wants us to worship Him. Worshiping Him is us receiving and enjoying God for who He is. And in the same side of it, we get to enjoy His stuff. We're just not worshiping it. Like when I eat a good steak, and by, I, I know I use this all the time, but when I eat a good steak, and by good, I mean like medium rare cooked. Like don't go well, you burn it, it no juices, no flavor. No. Medium rare, good cooked steak. Those flavors, when I eat it, those flavors were thought of by God. He created those flavors. If you're like, I'm vegetarian, vegan, I don't know if I can use ice cream, can I? Anyways, I'm going with ice cream. Ice cream, chocolate, the flavor chocolate. 
was thought of by God as a gift to us to enjoy. But it was never meant to terminate on the chocolate. It was never meant to just say, oh, chocolate, how you soothe my soul and how you provide for me all the day long and how I so care for you. And when I was in the dark place, chocolate, you saved me. Like it was never meant to be that. Even though some of you are like, no, amen. It is there for me all the time. But what it was meant to be was, God, thank you. Like this chocolate is providing for me an enjoyment right now. And so God, thank you. You are a good God. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, as Josh talked about earlier in the exaltation. And so thank you for creating this for me to be able to enjoy. Now I'm going to enjoy it in a stewarding so that I'm not going in excess to where the chocolate then becomes bad for me, but I'm enjoying it. Everything was created by God for that. Sex is designed by God for us to enjoy and to provide him glory in that. Jobs, working, creating things is designed by God for us to enjoy and not just to worship those things, but to worship him because of the way he's designed us to work and function. So at the end of the day, God's not anti, it's not God or the world. It's we want God We want to experience God. We want people to meet Jesus and come into a relationship with Jesus so that we can glorify God and who he is. And the beautiful thing about that is he still provides for us things in this world that we get to enjoy. It's just we're not looking at those things for satisfaction. We're looking at God to be our ultimate satisfaction. And so the way I want to close out today is... Um, I know in a room this size, um, there, there's, there's always a mixture. There's, there could be people in this room who literally just came for baby dedication. That's beautiful. That's awesome. In this room, there's, there's people who have been a part of our church for the last year. Um, for those who don't know, our church started in August of last year. Um, and so for those who have been a part of our church for last year, even still, some of you could think that we're in a relationship with God, but yet really what we're in a relationship with is still trying to have the world satisfy our souls and it's not working. And yet we haven't just surrendered over to God. We haven't just allowed God to love us the way he wants to love us, to provide his son Jesus for the forgiveness of when we mess it up and when we break things and when we break his, his creation. And, and we've got that sin. That's what we call sin is doing things in contrary to the way God designed them to be and function. I sin against my wife every single day. I sin against my children every single day because I don't love them the way God designed me to love them. But the beauty is, is when I mess up, I'm able to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, on the cross, you forgave me. You forgave me of when I messed up with my wife, when I messed up with my kids, when I messed up with our church, when I messed up with with those that are around me in our community. But God, you forgave me because of your son, Jesus. And I'm therefore able to go to them and ask for forgiveness from them and say, hey, will you forgive me? Will you love me? And, and my wife, nine times out of 10, will say, hey, Christ forgave me. I'm, I, can, I can forgive you. I have nothing, nothing against you. I love you. Guys, that's the relation, that's Christianity is a, a group of broken people coming to a perfect savior daily saying, we want to worship you, we want to love you, because we know that that's going to be our greatest satisfaction in life. And then we also get to enjoy all the things that he provides for us every single day, our jobs, our cars, our houses, 
our kids, our friends, all those things. And the good thing for those things is we don't expect them to satisfy us. Like if my wife and I did not have a relationship with Christ, I'm expecting her to be for me my greatest satisfaction in life. And she can't do that. She can't do that. Only Christ can do that. So it now frees her to be able to love me in the way that she's designed to love me, not me expecting her to be perfect. Christ is perfect for me. Christ is sufficient for me. He's all I need. And I throw, he throws Kelsey in as a bonus <laughs> because she loves me. She cares for me. She's encouraging. and She's supportive. And that's all because the fruit of the Spirit of Christ in her. Let's pray. I'm going to have the band go ahead and come on down front as well. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for the opportunity to read your scriptures and to see how it is that you've designed for us to be in a loving relationship with you that then impacts the relationship we have within our families and that then overflows into the relationships that we have within our communities. God, my prayer is that for every person in this room individually, that they would have a relationship with you, that they would get to experience Christ as, as their Savior, as their, as their Lord, as, as the ultimate relationship in all relationships. And so, Father, I pray that if there, if there are anybody in this room who has never accepted Christ um, as their Savior and, and who does not have a relationship with Him or, or might even um, wonder whether or not they do have a relationship with Him, God, I pray that you would place it on their heart and on their minds to be able to come and to talk with me or to set up a time where we can get together over coffee or dinner. Father, would you lead them in that way? Would you pursue their hearts right now? Let them know that they're loved by you. Let us all know that we're loved by you. And as we close out this service in song, God, would you be praised and honored by our people? Would you be glorified? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at
Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at